Come on, come on. We gotta get through customs before they catch up with us. You've already cost us a fortune in damage control. Look, you told me all I had to do was fly backwards and they wouldn't be able to shoot us. I meant that you should reverse thrust, not rearrange your pilot seat and a joystick so that you weren't facing the front of the ship anymore. How did you expect to navigate? Well, I thought you were going to direct me from the turret. What? The uncertainty would have lent an element of randomness to our maneuvers. I can't see half a space while I'm in the turret. Anyway, unless we break some kind of record... Wait, I bet that's us. Now serving... At least we got some practice with the artisanal procedures here. Yeah, tell me about it. Those pirates are going to be tied up for hours with all these paper forms. Let's hope so. Wait, lane 12? Oh, no. Uh, Maybe he just won't remember us. Uh, maybe. Hello, welcome to Low Customs. My name is... Oh, hey, it's you guys! <laughs> yeah, hello! Oh, how have you been? Hey, Sean, good to see ya. Oh, it's nice to see you too. I've, I've been well, thanks. Okay. Well, alright, just let me get a Form A brought over here. No, 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 no. no. Uh, sorry? Uh, we don't have any of the, those things with us today. Yeah, we're not in that market anymore. Oh, oh, okay. Sure. Sorry, I just assumed, you know, you guys were cool, you know. Usually once people are comfortable enough with their own offbeat tastes and eclectic style, they just stop caring about the judgmental opinions of the mainstream and just focus on what makes themselves unique. But I guess, you know, you guys aren't like that. Oh, no, 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 we're still cool and uh, authentic and everything. It's just that carrying around that kind of item tends to attract attention for the wrong reasons. Uh Uh-huh, okay, yeah, that's great. Just let me stop you right there for a second. Attention, please, attention. Cancel Form A special delivery request for lane 12. Repeat, cancel collectors and enthusiast declaration for lane 12. Thank you. Okay, so now how can I help you, gentlemen? Well, today we're in a bit of a hurry. Uh, Hang on, hang on, just one, one second. Hey, he said to cancel the form. So what are you lot looking at? Sorry, carry on. Easy there, buddy. Don't make a scene. No, 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 it's fine. It's fine. He's just expressing his inner feelings and demanding a safe space from microaggressions. That totally wasn't awkward or embarrassing in any way. No, no, he's right. I'm just a bit on edge. You see, we really do need to keep a low profile and get through here as quickly as possible. So we've got no cargo for sale. Form M from the Form W tray. Okay, okay, sir. Uh, No retained cargo. And Form R. Sir, sir, if I could just... all of our vaccinations are up to date. Form V. And Form D. Gentlemen, please, please. As you know, I am an artisanal, professional customs inspector with years, training, and experience. I can tell when someone is on the run from unlawful pirate assaults. Look, we really appreciate you trying to help but they jumped us in a sector with a malfunctioning comoray. There's no objective record of the attack. It'll be our word against theirs. Oh, right, sure. What was I thinking? Here in the middle of the most authentic, handcrafted customs experience in the galaxy. If a computer crashes, well, we'll just call it a day. Okay, totally. Yep, yep. Relay's broken. Everyone go home. Pack it up. 
Attention, attention, please. There's a satellite way up in space that isn't working. So everyone, just just stop what you're doing and go home. Huh? They're not going anywhere, right? Why aren't they going anywhere? Uh, wait, wait, wait. So, are you saying we can report that here? In the most sarcastic, condescending, and overblown way possible. Yes, yes, I am. I mean, <laughs> duh, you guys. TDD Customs is here to help. Really? How? Wait. Don't tell me. I bet there's a form. Oh, that's right. So you'll want a form B. Um, form B. Got it. Great. So uh, you fill that out and we'll work on form Z. Okay, okay. Quickly now. Okay, just just a few preliminary questions to make sure that you didn't instigate the incident. Okay. Did you fire the first shot? Definitely not. Okay, good, good. Any taunting, teasing, tedious tirades? Nope. Uh, did you fly into his jet wash, go ballistic buzz the tower or drop below the hard deck uh, no 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 and no okay good did you turn and burn shake and bake kick the tires and or light the fires or feel the need for speed no okay now there was an and or selection in there a lot of people missed that kicking the tires and or lighting fire i can assure you we did neither okay great did you take his parking spot take his pu- what the hell kind of provocation is that Oh, you'd, you'd be surprised. In some lamestream corporate space stations, parking violations result in an instantaneous death sentence. Seriously? You're joking. Uh, no, totally serious. Land on the wrong pad and zap. You better hope your insurance is paid up. Oh, speaking of which, we'll need a form I in a minute. Okay, but first, using this model here, show me where the bad ship shot you. Okay, got it. Form B all filled out. Great. Okay, let me type in the aggressor's ID tag. Okay. Yeah. Oh. This is coming up as you guys. What? Let me see. Oh, damn. I put their ID tag in the blank for our ship. Seriously? Great. Now I bet we've got to start all over again. Uh, Normally, yes. But uh, Form B is a beta test for some of our new auto-correction features. Let me see. So, um, I switched the ID numbers here. Okay. Okay. Now look at the form. Oh, fine. Let me see. Uh, yeah... Hey! It's on fire! Oh, oh, yes, yes. Uh, yes, that, that does, that does happen. Why does that happen? How is that a thing that happens? Sir, sir, it's a beta, okay? We're working through a few bugs. Rest assured, your feedback about the auto-correction features will result in a superior, genuine, artisanal experience for everyone. Well... I've got a few things to say about a processing form that spontaneously combusts. Actually, we stopped taking feedback on that topic. It's the known issue. Oh. Oh. Oh, that's interesting. What now? It appears that someone with the ID of your aggressor has submitted a Form K docking with intent to murder. There's a form for that? We are very thorough. Um, Also, they filled out subsection 4 specifying your ship's ID as the target. Wait, 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 wait. That's premeditated murder. That's completely illegal. You can't let them do that. Oh, oh, of course not, sir. No, no. You see, as soon as I submit your Form B for processing, their reputation level in the system will drop to a negative five, and bounties for their arrest or execution will be issued immediately. Oh, thank God. So, submit it already! Uh, okay, and... Done. Uh, oh, hmm. What? Are they wanted now? Um, uh, no. It appears that they have also submitted a Form H 
It's raised their reputation level back to negative four. Uh, how did they... Oh, of course, of course. Lane 23. Damn it, Marjorie! Four meat, four meat. I don't see that one here. No, of course not. I don't want to be hacked. Hacked? Oh, right. You can't hack an artisanal bureaucracy via computer. Exactly. You know, the problem is, Marjorie is one of our older inspectors. She doesn't always understand the need for proper precautions. She probably hands out a Form H to everyone who comes to her window. And so how do we stop her from letting them hack into the system? Is there a form for that? Maybe an F for firewall? Uh, actually, that was a popular feature request during the beta test, but uh, we ignored it. Um, oh, you know. You know what you could try. What? Bribery. You sure you don't have any more of those f***ing dog pumpkin wing potatoes? Marjorie is really into those. My portside thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. We are radio. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Sits and sieves, captains and commanders, you're tuned to the guard frequency. And as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is the 111st episode of the Best Damn Space Sim podcast ever and was recorded on Friday, March the 11th and made available for download Tuesday, 15th of March over at GuardFrequency.com. I'm Lennon. I'm Jeff. And I'm Tony. So what do we have this week, Tony? Well, this week's Squawk Box, we forego the science and the text. We can focus on what matters. The Vidya Games. On the flight deck, we see what news from your favorite space sims has landed as we cover 2.2.1, the February monthly report and 10 for the Chairman, episode 78 from the Star Citizen Camp, and the latest news from Descent Underground. Next, Jeff gathers mine and Lennon's thoughts on crowdfunding, and this week, we strap Shiv into the sim pod to review free space. Finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in the conversation. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on to the show and see what's coming through the squawk box. Hey, you boys, need a carrier around here? Crypter, 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 this is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. Now, hang on to your hats, captains and commanders. I'm going to go a bit crazy with the Squawk Box this week. I'm not going to talk about space or jets or science or politics. Oh, no. No, no. I'm going to use this segment of our video game podcast to talk about, wait for it, a video game. Bold. I know. Here we go. Stop me if you've heard this one before. A visionary game with an ambitious scope. Powerful voice acting and a compelling narrative. A superstar CEO with name recognition and popular appeal. Tens of millions of dollars in money raised from the public. Sound familiar? No, I'm not talking about Star Citizen. I'm talking about Kingdoms of Amalur. 38 studios formed in 2006, bankrupt in 2012, released a massively detailed MMORPG with a 10,000-year backstory written by fantasy author R.A. Salvatore. The CEO wasn't an old-school game programmer, but a former baseball player. That's cricket in the metric system. The studio was enjoying initial sales of 330,000 units on its way to 1.2 million units, critical praise for exciting gameplay, and that sense of satisfaction that comes from releasing a major title after a long development cycle. And then the bottom fell out. Despite its initial success, the company couldn't hang in long enough to pay off a $75 million loan it obtained from the Rhode Island Economic Development Corporation. 
The resulting closure, layoffs, bankruptcy, and other fallout essentially crushed former Boston Red Sox pitcher Kurt Schilling under a mountain of debt and public humiliation. Turns out pitching in the World Series on a bleeding ankle is easier than successfully publishing a triple-A MMO. But there's a new wrinkle. It turns out that of the $75 million 38 Studios was supposed to get, and desperately needed to stay afloat long enough to turn a profit, they only got $50 million of it. The Economic Development Corporation kept the rest for, quote, expenses and establishing a reserve fund and a capitalized interest fund, end quote. That's right. The EDC skimmed a third of the money that investors gave them and stashed it away, while the game developers and thousands of customers kissed six years of work goodbye. Even after the studio told them, hey, we need $70 million to make the game, and the company told investors, give us $75 million to give to them to make the game, that company only dished out two-thirds of the money. That, ladies and gentlemen, is known as fraud. Now, how are we hearing about this only now, nearly four years after the studio crashed and burned? Well, the Securities and Exchange Commission is not known for its blinding speed in chasing down financial shenanigans, and they would want people to get their expectations up. So, I guess, so long as the statute of limitations on fraud hasn't run out, the phrase better late than never still applies. Wow. <laughs> this is really before Kickstarter kicked off, huh? Because they, yeah. they probably yeah. could have raised that. I'm surprised they didn't turn to Kickstarter now that they've seen successful crowdfunding. Oh, it's too late. Yeah, no, it's too late. The company went belly up in 2012. You know, assets get divided up. Reputations have been ruined. The people who are working for the studios went to the, went to the four winds. But it's interesting to me to see that when you're going to have publicly raised money, you know, this, was, this is investors, this is all highfalutin sort of, you know, officialdom. It's not crowdfunding, it's investors who are covered by the 1934 Securities Act and very official stuff. A one-thirds overhead cost is clearly too much. Well, yeah, I mean, they weren't even modest so, about it. I mean, it wasn't even no. $5 million. I mean, that would have been a s small print story. Yeah. I mean, they were, they yeah. were greedy. I mean, greedy yeah. to the ninth. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I think the SEC, even though they weren't exactly speedy about it, that's why they're they're going after these people. You know, uh, we've talked a little bit about that board game guy that the FTC went after who didn't make the board game. These guys actually published a game and was out, and people kind of liked it. But the Economic Development Corporation just wouldn't release the extra funds they needed to stay in business a little longer. And in the meantime, that company was responsible for making loan payments and couldn't because they were just getting their feet on the ground. Here's the thing. Ah, what, that's what, what I'm digging at. Here's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, when you talk about fraud, what you're talking about is failing to disclose a material fact. So what they may have been doing might have been just fine if they had told everybody what they were doing. It may have been perfectly okay to take a third of the money the investors give you and stash it aside for risk management purposes. Maybe that would have been okay if they would have told everybody, look, we're going to not give the studio a third of this. The studio was tossing that $75 million figure out from the beginning, saying, this is what we need to make the game. And that's what the economic development people brought to the investors. Said, give us $75 million to give them to make this game. What they didn't tell everybody was, we're going to do these sort of probably legal and probably prudent risk management things. And so 
we're going to take a big chunk of that off the top and put it over here in another pile. That's the missing step. That's the part that the SEC alleges rises to the level of fraud. Wow. And I can't say that I disagree with them because, you know, if a publisher says, I need X to make a game, and everyone says, yeah, sounds like a great deal. Here's X. And then the person you give X to says, well, actually, it's two-thirds of X is what they're going to actually get. <laughs> I know that's not a, what they said they needed, but, you know, that's, yeah, just um, keep walking, keep walking. You'll probably get your money back someday. Yeah, no, you can't do that. And so I just, uh, for me, I think it's an interesting thing. You know, the crowdfunding stuff is still in its early days. It's a fluid area of the law. But here, at least in the video game developing, we have a benchmark now, right? Right. One third is clearly too much. The SEC will sue your ass. Yeah. So if you if you put a third into overhead, expect a subpoena. Okay. Yeah. Expect a summons. Ex- expect a lawsuit. Or or uh, when they know. come back and say, uh, "How about the rest, guys?" and you don't pony up, you might be yeah. <laughs> going to jail. Oh. oh, yeah. And that's the other thing too is I'm is that I I followed this off and on. You know, from the 2012-ish when it first started, looked like it when the game was released and it looked like there was going to be some trouble i kind of kept an eye on it and shilling did everything to try to keep this thing afloat this was his baby this was his dream he he just blood sweat and tears went into this project he just this was his thing but he was a little naive he was naive about how the video game business worked he was naive about how financial things worked and he got taken advantage of well and i i, I I'm don't just know glad I to mean, see that someone's is this going after a was the economic development corporation was that a private corporation or was it a, a public uh yeah oh yeah here's the thing about <laughs> that this is one of those public private partnership type things it was a private company set up by the state of rhode island so it's the state of rhode island behind this thing so when i'm out there soliciting investments i'm hi i'm from the state of rhode island and we want to attract this studio and it's dozens or hundreds of high-paying technical jobs to the state of Rhode Island. So, hey, Rhode Islanders, if you want to invest in your state and bring good jobs to Providence, I think is the city they were in, well, then you should invest in this company because we're going to make a great product. And look, here's Boston Red Sox World Series star Kurt Schilling, and he's in charge. Hey, everyone, say hi to Kurt Schilling. He's famous. So, I mean, they had all this stuff going for them, and then they didn't follow through with what they promised. So that's part of why this is such a big deal. This was pretty sleazy. So good luck, SEC. Go get them. Hope they, they find some folks and um, give them a nice striped suit to wear for a few years. Have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to others listening on the spectrum? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's see what news has hit the flight deck. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checker screen, call the ball. Our Star Citizen crowdfunding update for March 11th, 2016, 109,940,000, up about 400,000, 1.3 million registered accounts, up about 6,000, and 941,000 ships in the UEE fleet, up about 5,000. And speaking of Star Citizen, after a brief stint in the PTU, CIG released 2.2.1 to live, and then they released 2.2.2 two days later, right before we recorded this show. And that's right, we're not even going to go back to re-record the intro. There aren't many obvious changes, it's mostly work done on EVA animations and a number of improvements to the working with the 300 series ships in the holotable, but not the Revelyn York one, using that table will still crash your game. 
Last week, CRG came out with its voluminous monthly report detailing what the studios have been up to for February. As usual, if you follow CRG's new stream, there's not much in the report that would be entirely new to you, but there were a few interesting tidbits on future goals. The LA studio has mostly been working on converting their assets into the new DataForge tool for easier manipulation, while their writers are collaborating heavily with the Squadron 42 team over here in the UK. Those chaps still can't talk about 90% of their work, but they did give us a long and detailed piece about their sound design, and, in a little hidden treat, their art team talked about finalising interiors for some of the Bengal locations, and they also say that both the Idris and the Javelin are now in final production. Austin, meanwhile, is all about the shopping, as that will be the first example of persistence they plan to introduce. Their QA department has been absorbed into troubleshooting issues with the two-point releases, and they also talk about their philosophy regarding how and when testers are given access to the PTU content. Worth a look if you have any concerns on the subject. Skimming through the rest of the report, Frankfurt had their heads turned teaching the AI how to believe to react to stimuli. And they're fleshing out the Hurston landing zone. Behavior is busy designing all the shot fronts that the Austin team are programming. And finally, Turbulent is beginning a redesign on the ship stats page on the website. Since a system that suffices for comparing 20 ships' details doesn't quite work as well with 70. Moving on, Chris's most recent 10 for the chairman had a number of bits sure to spark debate and controversy among the SC backers. He mentioned that people wanting authentic audio, or more accurately, authentic lack of audio, will not have that option anytime soon. The team is rather firmly committed to the entertainment over realism where sound is concerned. Next, would-be Borg Queens would be disappointed to learn that there are, will be some sort of cap on the number of NPCs that can be hired to work for players as crew slash escort pilots. Although what that cap is or what will determine it have yet to be decided. Chris mentioned that owning multi-crew ships may increase the cap, but that was more an offhanded guess than actually a working idea. And for the graphics API nerds out there, CIG is looking at Vulcan, but they haven't decided anything regarding using it versus DirectX 12. Less speculative news bits include that ship-to-ship docking, i.e. Merlin to the Connie, is not actually that hard to implement but is currently the victim of the priority list. And, Jeff will be happy to hear, CIG is working on overhauling the patching system to download and replace only those files that have been changed rather than having to re-download the entire build every single time. Yay! I think that'll make more than just Jeff happy. Yeah, Yeah, seriously. It'll make me happy. I, I, I gotta say... Uh, one of the things over the realism, the sounds don't bother me uh, as much as it does the visuals. And what I mean by that is when you damage a ship, why does it burn fire? You're in space. There is no oxygen. Therefore, there is no fire. Well, there is oxygen inside your ship, isn't there? So it can burn a little bit. No, I'm talking about like on an extremity or something where it's not in your ship. I'm talking on the exterior, right. outside. You know, if you if you run around and you see, uh, like in uh, Crusader, if you're running around and, and see people flying to other ships just to, you know, messing around, you'll see these little parts, these wings or whatever, just catch fire. It's like, I'm in space. Why is there fire? I, I just, I, I think that there are some people who are so interested in effects that they forget about the realism and that just breaks some of the gameplay so much. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess the thing that you can always do with the audio side of it is if you don't want to hear the audio, you just switch it off. Right. You know, there is a mute button. It's all good. But yeah, you can't really mute fire visuals, I don't think. Yeah. Part of that is is that it's one of those sort of gameplay versus realism type things. I would like to know when I've hit the other guy, you know, when I've made something hurt. Yeah, but when you're just sitting there and the damn thing is just burning and burning and burning, you're staring at it going, is this thing going to go out? I mean, has it depleted the surrounding lack of oxygen yet? I mean... Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying, but I think it's... I, I, think, I really do think that's a, a visual signal that damage has been absorbed and has not been rectified yet. You know, no one's put out the fire yet. Yeah, but but they've been working on these damage states that you think they would come up with something better than uh, flames in space. They used to have it. Bits would fall off, but they don't have the bits will fall off damage system anymore. Right. Texture swapping now. I mean, bits do fall off, but it's like the ship's structure doesn't degrade like it was initially. I, I think there's a way to show damage without it actually having to, you know, burn. You know, there's a, there's a lot of ways to, uh, to show damage other than, you know, having smoke and, and fire. Electrical arcs? Yeah, maybe. Little sparks here and there. Yeah, electrical arcing would work. Also, going actually along Jeff's lines, if the whole point of having the HUD is to overlay information that you wouldn't otherwise see, why can you not just project something that says, you know, this part's damaged, like have a big red pulsing overlay on it or something, which would then play into the fact that when your HUD is down, when your senses are off, you won't be able to tell that, and that will add to the realism whilst not taken away from the gameplay side. Yeah, that's a good idea, actually, Lennon. I love the game we're making. Yeah, yeah I love the game fantastic. we're making. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. I just got all excited about CIG looking at Vulcan. because yeah, me um, too. Vulcan, uh, for those of you who aren't graphics API nerds... Which would be me. Which would be you. So, Tony, Vulcan <laughs> is... You, you've heard of OpenGL and WebGL. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. by the same company. The thing that I really like about it, though, is that it's called Vulcan, and the company that make it are called Kronos. Oh, the Star Trek nerd in me has a warm I button. know. I, th- warm fuzzy. I thought that would make you warm and fuzzy, and that's yeah. not a f- sentence I really wish to repeat anytime soon. So quickly <laughs> moving on. AMD was pushing this uh, new engine API of theirs, too. I-, I can't remember what it's called, but... Uh, oh, yeah. At one point, Star Citizen was all about it. It was like yeah. Metal or Meteor or something. No, it was... Um, the point is, though, it doesn't matter, because Vulcan's yeah, way matter. better. Vulcan's incredibly low overhead. I'm afraid that, that these things just don't take off or that nobody uses them. Or, well, or or that it fractures the marketplace so that, you know, well, we've optimized our game to run Vulcan and this other AMD thing, well, we're just not going to support that. So unless you have a card that runs this, your gameplay right. experience is going to suck. Normally, though, you get you do end up with like a dual support scenario, and Vulcan does seem to be taken over from OpenGL quite a bit. Um, in fact, there was a game that was released recently that I'm trying, the Talos Principle. That's the one that has come out recently, and that is pretty much the first major game to have Vulcan support. And the graphical overheads on it are so low compared to OpenGL that the marked improvement in performance is really worth it. Just talking about all things graphical, the Bengal carrier is out, which means we're going to get the Bagel carrier soon. <laughs> I'm doing a low car. Is that a thing baker's right dozen carrier, or is that? Is yeah, that... basically, you get 13 carriers where everybody else normally gives you 12. Well, that's a hell of a fleet. It is, and you won't be able to have enough NPCs to run it, though. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's be true. NPC caps. Now, if if there's one person who's into NPC slavery, Jeff, how do you feel about this? That's right. What? You won't have enough minions to sweep up in your hangar. 
Well, nobody said what the uh, cap's going to be yet. I mean, it's all speculative. I, and I'm kind of hoping that they really take a serious look at this. Uh, so we're running a corporation, right? Do we hire NPCs to staff our corporate offices? I mean, isn't it all about, you know, all that realism? I mean, if I, uh, if I walk out my CIO, you know, desk over there and I look down to the CEO, hey, Tony, talk to my assistant. Oh, there's no assistant to talk to. So you're asking, you're looking for different layers of serfdom. Yes. Like a certain layer of serfs will be just sort of, you know, props. The people that are pushing the brooms and answering the phones and making you virtual coffee in your in your corporate headquarters. Yes. And then there's another layer of serfs that you would have man a turret or pilot a ship or do other sort of, you know, still beneath you tasks, but not, you know, quite so menial as the minions that you'll have hanging around your hangar. Correct. All right. Okay. So, so I, I can see this. One of them would be like you would unlock, like once you've reached a certain bank balance or a certain number of ships or hangar size it would be like a well like oh like start on star trek online if you have a fleet starbase you actually can unlock additional security guards that sort of stand at post at turbo lifts and stuff like that they're just background flare right so yeah so to help with your immersion yeah okay yeah see they can, they, can, they can do that there's no reason that they should limit that so there, there's there's another game idea for them you know have a second layer of serfdom I'm wondering what the cap is actually going to be, though, because I'm wondering if this will mean that you can't pilot something like an Idris or a Javelin solo, because I know that a lot of people might be looking forward to being able to do that and running it with an entire NPC crew, but if it's been capped, then if you want to fly the bigger ships, are you actually going to need to go out and make friends? Oh, perish the thought. Here's the thing that I that I would like to see. I you know, we're talking about these layers of serfdom. I hire my my best buddy's kid, right? To be a, a in the mailroom. And he works in the mailroom for the next two or three years and I graduate him to to cargo lackey on the on the Connie. You know, he, he just hauls cargo or manages the cargo. And pretty soon he works up to be the weapons officer. Realistically That would be cool. In a in a game uh, when we're talking persistent universe, what is our limitation on this kind of system? I, I'm not sure I'm liking the cap idea now. I, now that I start thinking about the depth and the layers, not just two layers, but all the layers that we can get to, they're going to have to have a cap of some kind. I mean, they're going to have to they're going to have to limit it somehow. Here's another idea for them. Although I don't, I'm loath to say this out loud. I would suspect that eventually they will monetize that cap. Whether it's, as Chris mentioned, being tied to the purchase of larger ships, like if you have an Idris or a Bengal. Well, if you've got an Idris, we're going to go ahead and give you 50 NPC slots because you need 12 to just have the ship take off anyway. Plus, you've spent a good chunk of change or a good chunk of time in the game. So we'll just give you those, those, those things. And if you need some extra help, or this is even more diabolical, you have a hard cap. Thanks for buying the Idris. If you bought it with cash... Here's some extra NPC slots to go with it. Oh, you bought it with in-game credits? Eh, you're going to need to pony up for the extra NPC slots. That's the nah. sort of way you can use the game mechanics to monetize part of the gameplay. Or you can just go out and make friends. Honestly, though, that's that's more of a way that you can try and nickel and dime your customers and be dicks to them. Because to get those energy credits, you would have had to spend time in-game. 
which is the whole point of having that sort of time to cash offset if you've got the time to spend to get it you shouldn't be penalized versus somebody who will just hand over the money to do it yeah but if you but that's been chris's philosophy you know some people have time some people have money but the problem is he needs money to ruin the company i can see a little bit of that but i also see things like corporate levels Pilot levels, I, I'm not levels, but you know, uh, time and game, some with some sure. mechanism of, of which to. I don't want to restart, rekindle the whole. I know dual I, currency, I time really. currency thing. But that's you know, I don't want. I'm not going to get into that here again. But there's unfortunately there's got to be something in the game that basically requires somebody to pay money at some point. There has to be some element of the game in there that requires dollars changing hands i'm not totally against that i just want it to be done fairly and not you know just because you earn an address in game shouldn't make you pay a hundred dollars or more to raise your level cap i'm talking you know five bucks to to give you 50 slots or something i i could i could i could see that i sense this is a monetization area though i bet you're right well, the tunnel dwellers down in Austin have released their latest development updates. We can bring you the latest from Descent Underground. Pixly is working on a new in-game match browser, so hopefully no longer will you end up in a match. That's just about to end. The smart missile's getting a revamp. No specific news just yet, but as soon as we've got details, we'll let you know. The Typhoon Death Blossom spin attack mode now has a devastating damage effect at higher power levels. The team are rethinking the level of destructibility in the Colosseum map. They made so many things blow up real good. The map would change shape, and it broke some of the strategy. Flares and invulnerability power-ups are going to be in the proving grounds for testing. The Skylab map is going into the beautification phase to you know, make it more beautiful, obviously. Uh, and DirectX 12 now has experimental support that you can enable in the launcher. If your maps have been through the beautification process, now they can be even more beautifuler. So, Lennon, yes. you've been blowing some things up real good in December. I have. I have. I've been getting more into it recently because it's kind of got that addictive quality that I, I tend to have a problem with with F FPS arena games in that, you know, it's like you can jump into a match, you can play it, it's, it's over, it's a real quick adrenaline hit, and then you're like, oh, well, that only took 10 minutes. Okay, one more match. And then 10 minutes later, you're like, yeah, okay, I'll have another match. And then you end up on a streak where you're winning and you're like, oh, this is great, another match. And then you get beaten like 10 to 1 and you think it's a stupid game anyway. I didn't even like it in the first place. <laughs> and an hour of your life is gone. Yeah, basically. Yeah, okay. So that's kind of the pattern that I'm in at the moment. So yeah, having having played around on various bits, I do like this Typhoon Death Blossom spin attack mode being just like an uber attack when it's at high power levels. I mean, at the moment, it's quite devastating anyway. But I think that this is going to be one of those where if you know how to use the craft really well, you know, you get an experienced pilot in that seat, then they will be able to cause so much devastation with like a very simple attack. The way that I think it's going, and this is like a little bit of speculation and prediction, is that it's going to have to be the type of game when you've got one of the typhoons in there where everybody sort of needs to defend them until they can get into their position to do their most devastating attack. So so it's, you know, yeah, it's, it's basically you have to escort the big gun. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I might be wrong, but that's the direction it kind of looks like it's heading it. Just adding a few more tactical options, though, is never a bad thing. Well, I mean, I have one I have one question, though. Does it come with a brown lizard sitting in the back seat telling you, why don't load the systems? Blow the shit. <laughs> no, but it should. Yeah, it really should. Uh, you know, it's one of those games I find really enjoyable to play because you're not 
really trying to finish this objective. You're just trying to survive. You know, it really is fun. See, that's how I started out, was you're just trying to survive. And I, I realize this is just asking for people to hunt me down, and this is going to be completely not worth it. But I started out with the whole just, I'm trying to survive. And after a little while, I was like, huh, I'm actually not too bad at this. I can now kill other people as well. And yeah, eventually, like I said, I just sort of reached that tipping point where this has just gotten more and more addictive. So what would describe your learning curve? Was it uh, five matches, ten matches? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say it was around... Uh, see, mine's probably not going to be standard because I was also using a Steam controller, and with the Steam controller, a lot of how you configure it can also be that point where the game suddenly clicks for you. If you've got a bad control scheme on the Steam controller, then it, it can just make it really awkward. So once I found a setup that was really good for me, it was then just a case of getting more in tune with the controls, and then after a few matches from that, that's when I started really feeling it. So, well, like if, we, if it was a it was a ten match curve, and you yeah. spent four of it on the control scheme, and then so six of it, six maybe? ish, yeah, ish. that okay. sounds about good. Okay, all right. Well, uh, so uh, uh, ten games, people. Give it, give it, give it ten games. Give it ten passes, and you'll know if it's if if you if you like it. Yes, and it is still on. Uh, at least last time I checked, which was just before the show, you can still get a bit of a discount through Steam Early Access. So if you haven't purchased it yet, jump on there, get it whilst it's cheap. Cheap? What's cheap? <laughs> well, less than the cost of a Star Citizen ship, more than the cost <laughs> yeah. of a Kickstarter pledge. Well, that can mean anything, though. <laughs> Exactly. But now it's time for news we didn't use. Star Citizens Around the Verse show contains a new Lore Master's Guide to the Galaxy segment for those that are interested in the lore and astronomy associated with the systems in the game. Elite Dangerous officially announced Octopus Rift launch support, and the VR build of the game will be free to all current and future ED players. CIG community manager Jared has put out a call for raw video footage of people taking the Big Benny's vending machine to all corners of Crusader. No explanation was given, but Lando's behind this, so be afraid. E-Valkyrie's alpha phase will close on the 12th of March. Details are on the official forums. And Overload has successfully funded their Kickstarter campaign. Their goal was hit in the final few hours. Congratulations, guys. Yes, multiplayer descent type goodness for everybody. Yep, you know, they're, they're you know approaching it the opposite direction from uh, Descent Underground. Uh, Descent Underground starting with a the multiplayer, then hitting the first-person campaign. Overload starting with the first-person campaign, and then they'll add multiplayer support after release. So good news for them! Congratulations. Uh, the more, the merrier. Yeah, I like to think we played a rather large part in that, but oh, I'm probably uh, but, wrong. Oh, but I like to course. think, yeah, you know, we'd like to think that we would yeah. like to think that. It gives Whether us that or not warm, we actually think that, another story. We yeah. like to think so. Now, crowdfunding has, by and large, taken the industry by storm, allowing developers to reach out to fans in a way that traditional pre-orders never could. But does that make it a good thing? Gentlemen, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to bait for us crowdfunding. I will give you each 30 seconds to present your case and a further 30 seconds to reply. As a result of a coin flip, 
Tony is up first and London is second. So, Tony, tell me why you think crowdfunding is ruining game development. Jeff, crowdfunding is weak for the very reason in its name. It's funded by crowds. It is the ultimate in popularity contest. Unfortunately, there's no way to nominate anybody and everybody's on the ballot all at the same time. And it's a bunch of companies with a bunch of different ideas all competing for a small number of eyeballs. There's no way to separate out the good ideas from the bad until it's far too late. Lennon, your rebuttal? Tony, you ignorant slut. Crowdfunding isn't just a popularity contest. It's about what the developers are able to do to say to the crowd, hey, here's a game that we want to develop. Tell us what you think of it before we actually go and spend money developing it. How many games have come out in the last few years where once they've been released, they've just turned out to be a complete wet pile of equine arse gravy? Crowdfunding allows us to pre-vet everything that comes out, as well as allowing developers access to the fans before the game is actually launched. And Tony, your response? Lennon, the problem with being able to pre-vet is that there are too many projects, not enough eyeballs. Back in the day, you'd have an expert, probably a publisher, who would know the market, know the audience, and say, this is what people are hungering for. Taking it to the crowd in some sort of stage of pre-development, anything from just a trailer to maybe a working model, and trying to put it out there to the judgment of people that may not be paying attention, is just a recipe for overcrowding. Lennon, would you care to reply? Tony, you ignorant slut. Yes, previously you would have had a single person doing it, but then you get into the very sort of Hollywood style, just they have to rifle through them as quickly as possible because there is only one pair of eyeballs on a given project. Putting it out to the crowd, literally you have thousands of eyes, and that's not just for the pre-development and saying which games launch and which don't. Think of all the feedback that will occur from being able to get that in front of people before it actually launches, not to mention the additional QA support that you will get from thousands and thousands of people that have access to this around the globe. It is just a much more viable campaign for future than the, the publishing model. <laughs> Just about got that in there before the first, second time of bleep there. Uh, see, I, this one was tough for me because I, I don't necessarily agree. I personally have a problem with the one person that determines the fate of a game or not. I remember a game I, I was really into called uh, Battletech 3025. It was a, uh, it was an alpha stage and then beta stage. I think Elliot was in with, with me at one point. It was a Sony game and it was doing very well and we love everybody loved it and Sony decided to, to, to kill it. And I think it would have done quite well. I think if you take it to the people, the people are the ones that are going to respond with it, whether they want it or not, honestly. I think crowdfunding, there's definitely a place and a, and a, a need for it. There is certainly a, a market for crowdfunded games. The, the, the issue that I have is kind of what we were talking about earlier in Squawk Box, is that when you're taking people's money directly and you don't and really can't fully inform them of the risk that you're taking with their money, to put a Kickstarter campaign together, I mean, just about anybody can do it. And then you rely on the wisdom of the crowd to figure out whether or not it's a project worth backing or not. And it's every man for himself and buyer beware and all that kind of stuff. But, I mean, even sophisticated investors get fleeced, i.e. 38 Studios, uh, and, and people, just regular Joes who are just so passionate about a project, it's really easy to pull the wool over their eyes. And it's really hard for them to get any kind of satisfaction if things go south. On the other hand, you have studios like Microsoft who pull the plug on Fable, 
that's a that's a game that has just a following and many successful sequels prior to this. And you look at that and you scratch your head like, you've got a built-in audience. You've got people who have been clamoring for the sequel to the, the, that, that series for years. I don't know if my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law know about this yet. But when I tell them that Fable's been canceled, a tear may be shed. Multiple tears may be shed. They played that game together as a couple and really looking forward to the sequel. It, it, it baffles me when surefire bets are passed by on the studios and risky stuff is funded by the crowdfunding when the surefire but slightly risky things wallow. That's the part that I'm, I'm, I'm worried about. The, the crowdfunding is never going to fund the big studio stuff because, you know, big studios should be able to pay for that. Or the IP is owned by somebody else, and so it's never going to make it into a crowdfunding environment. And on the other side, the studios are never going to fund these little indie, you know, Descent reboots, right, for 100,000 copies or less. There's a big thing in the middle that's not being addressed, and I think that's the problem. Well, okay, I, I'm going to bring up a game that is both near and dear to you and me and that we've been following for a very, very long time and we saw the changes that happened. It did get published, but let's take Perpetual Studios. Okay. Yep. 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 The game that, that we originally signed up for and started with, if it gone crowdfunded, do you think that Perpetual would have been of the publisher? Would we have gotten the game that we had, had signed, originally signed up for? The original version of Star Trek Online, which would have been more like a career simulator. Would right. have been, it would have been a sort of first-person universe where you were a Starfleet officer participating in a crew aboard a starship. That's right. Not like the Star Trek Online we actually got, which is Starfleet Command 4. Not that that's a bad thing. I love the Starfleet Command series, but it was a very different game than originally pitched. Yeah, I think if, if crowdfunding had been around, I think you could have stirred up you know, the, the cohort of people that are both Star Trek fans and video game fans and who have disposable income. I think that that cohort would have ridden to the rescue of that game. But again, I think that might have been one of those games that are in that middle that I'm talking about. The IP is owned by a big fat company. Surely somebody will invest in that. But it's kind of a niche deal where you're going to appeal mostly to Star Trek fans and Star Trek fans who have computers and Star Trek fans who have lots of disposable income and want to be an officer, not a captain. Right. I think it might have been, you know, that it's that it's in that uncanny valley, let's call it. It's too big to get a real sort of grassroots crowdfunding vibe to it, but it's too small to really attract the big guns of a major publisher or studio. Something's got to happen with a crowdfunding model that helps bridge that, what I think is a gap. Maybe, I mean, Star Citizen is one of the, is maybe the only one that has bridged that gap. It's got funding sizes like a, you know, comparable to a major studio, and yet it's an independent game. Well, but look at, you know, he's dealing with an IP that is his own. He had clout and a name, a reputation. He had produced successful games in the past, and I think that it alone drove a lot of the crowdfunding that he got initially. I'm not saying now, I'm saying initially. You know, we may have ended up with two Star Trek Onlines, totally two different games. No, the way because of the way Cryptic got the license, the yeah, story how Cryptic got yeah, the license, yeah. it couldn't have been two. But I don't know if it would have worked in 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 that instance, saving that particular game that I really wanted to play. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that's the weakness of crowdfunding is it, it will cover that low end little engine that could type project, but it's not enough to bridge the gap where a game like Fable can be saved. It's just it, it's, something has to change with it 
you know, to cover that uncanny valley. Like you said, it's it's that middle section that really needs to be addressed. But it it's the same with no matter what it would be. It's not necessarily just video games or that sort of thing. If, you know, you had a hundred bucks, because this is how much movies cost to make, right? Because I've done a lot of research on this. And <laughs> three people come up to you. The first person who comes up to you for your hundred bucks is a kid fresh out of college who's got an idea for a sci-fi show. The second person who comes up to you is Mel Brooks, and the third one who comes up to you is Quentin Tarantino. Which one are you likely to give your hundred dollars to? Quentin. And the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the answer is the one who has a proven track record of doing great things, and you know you're going to get a lot of enjoyment out of the hundred bucks that you give to Quentin Tarantino. Sure, it might be a repeat of his familiar recipes. Uh, for all we know, though, the college kid that's just graduated could have produced the most mind-blowing epic sci-fi ever, but just the lack of track record means you're not as willing to make a risk with it. I think what Chris had going for him was he was like, this is going to be Wing Commander 5, or 6 or 7, what are we on now? Whatever. Wing Commander 7, and then everybody's like, what's different about it? And he's like, it's not Wing Commander 7, and they're like, hell, that's all I really wanted anyway. Uh <laughs> Was that Mel Brooks or Mel Gibson? Uh, Mel Brooks. Oh, that's tough. Yeah, I kind of wanted to try and pick someone who you like. If I give him that, it could be good, but... Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. That then depends on if you say who's doing the special effects and he either says the Wachowskis or Michael Bay. That would then decide where <laughs> the money's going, so... All right, well, I think because we've been covering this for so long, we the three of us sort of have a comfort level with crowdfunding... We've seen the good, we've seen the bad. 38 Studios clearly ex- exposes sort of the problems with the old school model of funding, right? You know, getting investors together and creating a publishing company. So we see there's good and bad on that side too. But it's not it's not a panacea because it, it, there are cases that it to date has not been able to address and it needs to be addressed somehow. Well, and that brings us to this week's community question, crowdfunding. Is it the future of the games industry, or like shareware, something we look back on fondly in the future? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. And now that we're all caught up with the latest news, let's strap Shiv into the sim pod as he reviews Free Space. Rugger to bridge. If you need me, I'll be at Holodeck Welcome to the sim pod. Shiv here with a look at Freelancer... It's just me, so, uh, wait, what's this? The comma ray is overloading. I'm being hit with a data spike. Uh, can, can you let me out of this communications console? It's, it's kind of cramped in here. I'm also supposed to get his foot out of my face. Oh, hold on. Just let me recombinate the waveform, and... There! Oh, hey, it's Spice Point and Animal. What a nifty trick. Well, we heard you were talking freelancer, and, uh, wouldn't want to miss that. Alright, well, how about we start with the history? Sure. Well, in many ways, and has often been directly stated, Star Citizen is the spiritual successor to Freelancer. And back in 97, Chris Roberts and the team at Digital Anvil went to work on creating a game within a universe that, according to Chris's vision, would have NPCs running autonomously, so as to feel as if the player was really a part of a larger universe that was alive. And Roberts subsequently left the project when Digital Anvil was purchased by Microsoft Studios and By and large, the game never developed into the fully mature version of Chris Roberts' initial dream. For instance, autopilot, branching conversations which would have player choice impact the game's narrative, and side missions were all sort of 
pushed to the side, but what remains is still the source of a lot of nostalgia among Space Sim fans and is, at least in my opinion, uh, one of my favorite entries into the genre on account of the depth of its story. The voice acting is generally very good. There's emotion and it doesn't sound cheesy. Some of the NPCs around the stations can be very dry and almost everyone says the same things even on the very first screen. Personally, the main story hasn't particularly grabbed me yet, even after four main story missions, but maybe if I read the news and other information more, it would draw me in. While accessible, combat begins to become stale and uninspired after the first several hours of play. The mouse fight mechanic is easy to pick up and isn't inherently bad, but it gives Freelancer more of an arcade feel and may put off those Space Sim fans who are after the true simulator feel. It's as if they did as little to develop the combat mechanics as possible. It's hard to target, you can't request anything of your wingman, and overall, it hasn't been much of a challenge yet. I've played the first few missions and I'm a little interested in learning more. I like the main character, you get a feel from him right from the start. Danimal mentioned the news, and I did browse the first screen before I launched the first time, poke some of the articles, then when I did launch I ended up seeing an event mentioned in the news happen right before my eyes. Then it blew up, and the first thing that happens when the current story starts, that blows up too. I thought maybe it was an homage to C-Lab. That said, the universe feels like a universe. There's chatter on the comms as you fly around other ships. People request landings, please scan you or other ships, and there's raiders crying home to mama when they take out their shields, and only a sliver of hull remains between them and the void. Now, this is for sure a very strong point of the game. But it's not the flight or combat mechanics which caused Freelancer to become so well-respected. It's Trent's story played out through pretty well-orchestrated cutscenes. Oh. By the way, no, you can't skip them, uh, which is good. Uh, there aren't many games nowadays that don't let you skip them, and as a result, I actually had to follow the story, which made me more invested in the game and kept me coming back for more. And the story itself plays out in a universe that, even without Chris Roberts' guiding hand to the bitter end, for a single-player game still feels alive and populated. Like Shiv said, with each transfer to a new trade lane, you can hear the nearby station hailing traders on comms, asking them what they're up to or submitting them to a scan. And you might run into a conflict between two warring factions which you can choose to join or ignore, just as you're flying around. It sounds like Danimal and I have only played the game for a short while, but Splice Point has played it a lot. Do you think you'll keep playing Danimal? I think I will. Probably more in bursts here and there, but the game has done enough to caught my attention and hold my interest for some periods of time. I hope I can stick with it here as my schedule starts to open up. Yeah, the nice thing is you can just hop in, fly a mission, and it's pretty arcadey. You can just have some fun and then land and mm -hmm. get on with your life. Like I said, the universe feels alive, and I think I'll play as I can. But I've started playing all these games for SimPod, and there's too many of them that are good, so I'm having trouble finishing any of them. Any final words, Splice Point? Well, like you guys mentioned, if you can get through the little lulls in between when the story is taking place, I highly recommend that you take a stroll through this universe. It's one of my favorite childhood space sims, although you may have to look a little bit to find it. Unlike so many other games which have been ported to websites, such as good old games or to the PC gaming mecca that is Steam, the rights to Freelancer have never been ported such that it's been made available for download online. So. If you want to play it the above-board way, there are still some outlets like Amazon, which will sell you the CD-ROM, uh, assuming, of course, that you're someone that still has an optical drive, and you may have to look a little bit to find it, but I promise it's worth it. And as a last plug, the game does have a very small but active hardcore roleplay community, which if I fail to mention, I feel like would be a crime. 
it is very niche, but they're very much alive and it's very strong. And if that's your thing, uh, you can check out one of the many multiplayer servers that's out there. It's interesting stuff and has certainly kept the game alive a long time after release. All right. Thanks, guys, for coming on the SimPod and talking about Freelancer. Where can everyone go to find you? Well, you can find our Motley crew over at the Data Spike podcast on dataspike.me or on Twitter at DataspikeCast. Thanks again for having us, Shiv. Of course, when we're out there in the deep black slinging data spikes, we're always keeping one ear on the guard. Of course we are. All right. Well, Data Spike is a pretty good show, and you should check it out. Simulant signing out. Now let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy. What's on your mind? We're all friendly! So let's just be friendly! Some say that if his parents hadn't successfully met their crowdfunding goal, he would never have been born. And that one of the pledge levels was for an ancient map with an X on it. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he'll put together this week's feedback. Procedural generation, is having millions of strange new worlds to explore appealing, or just another reminder that the deep black can get pretty lonely and kind of repetitive? And Krell writes in to say, Procedural generation is amazing and can greatly expand the possibilities available to game designers, but, just as with everything else, it needs to be used in the right way. For example, you might get a mission to fly to a heavily forested area of a planet to drop supplies to a logging community. The community may be modelled by hand, a landing platform here, a sawmill there, general store over here, so on and so forth, with the surrounding terrain all being procedurally generated, including hills, trees, streams, rocks, wildlife, and so on. There could also be a combination of hand-modelled work and procedural work. The houses for the loggers could be based off a model design and then just tweaked and located procedurally. Sean Newboy writes in to say, As for procedural generation, I would rather have a large, bizarre, but similar universe than a longer development time requiring much more work on the devs' part. Wonderful show, everybody. First First Problems writes in and says, Personally, I'm hoping that Star Citizen and No Man's Sky change my view on procedural generation. I truly hope that there is a balance between worlds that get generated by code, but also places that get the TLC from the designers and the artists. I think a mix would be great. Obviously, there are rules. For instance, a desert wouldn't generate in a tundra. I think it adds to the immersion and the depth of play. Think about exploring strange new worlds with your friends, worlds that most don't know about. That element is the main reason I back Star Citizen. Taka writes in and says, Just dropped in here, like a badger in the night, to offer my opinion on procedural generation tech. Like many things, the usefulness of such tech depends entirely on how it is used. Basic tech that allows only for a small number of output variants can get bland very fast. I'm looking at you, Mass Effect, exploration planet side locations. By the time you've done that type of content for, say, the 30th time, you've pretty much seen every variation that is out there. However, if the procedural generation tech is more complex and is used to initially define the layout of environments which are then tweaked afterwards by the devs, then that is where the tech is being used to take away a lot of the donkey work. Allowing for more content to be created than doing it by hand, whilst allowing the devs the opportunity to add handcrafted touches to the environments, and thus even more variations on the themes. I believe this is precisely what CIG are going to do with Star Citizen. Personally speaking, I'd rather have hundreds of star systems done in this way, with more added later, than a game filled with billions of star systems relying solely on procedural generation to create variations of its own. And I tend to agree with a lot of the statements. It looks like everybody is pretty much a mixture of both worlds, you know, procedural gen and dev work. What I'm finding, like in Elite, for example, you know, if I visit 
20 planets, I would almost say that 19 of them are going to pretty much look similar. And that's my fear if we let it just go hog wild. Yeah, well, and Elite has the, I don't know, handicap right now of they're only letting you land on airless planets. There's basically one kind of planet that, that you're allowed to interact with right now, and that's a Mercury or the Moon. That's about the only kind of thing you can see right now. So there is no volcano planets and ice planets and Earth-like planets. There's just you know, barren rock. That's about all you can do. Hopefully that, that'll improve as time goes on. But, yeah, most people kind of came down where we did. It's like, you know, sure, procedurally generate some stuff, but you need to have those handcrafted touches to make the place look alive and not just sort of you know, bland vanilla. No Man's Sky, I think it's all going to come down to how complex their formula is. You know, it includes life forms, it includes atmosphere types, it includes plants. That's a level of sophistication, of procedural generation that we're not going to see in Star Citizen. Certainly we haven't seen Elite so far, but it's just kind of taking it to the next level. Yeah, and I also think that allowing it to do the, the donkey work is a good way of doing it because like Tarka was saying when you have things like how they do it in Mass Effect and especially in Star Trek Online when they had what was called the Genesis system where you could fly into a system and it would just throw something together for you that was basically procedural generation same sort of thing if you have a small number of variants it can actually even be completely jarring and break the suspension of disbelief there like it's very famously would like throw together emissions where the Borg would get really emotional and irate with you saying how you've trespassed on their land and this belongs to their fourth dynasty and they're here to reclaim their lost artifacts and you're like really the Borg fourth dynasty artifacts Mm, okay fine beam down to the planet and these artifacts are actually giant rock plants growing out the side of lava and the whole thing just made absolutely no sense so using it to generate a base that you can then vet and say, actually, that is sensible, I'm just going to build on that, I think is probably the better way to do it. But at that point, it stops being procedurally generated. If you vet it and tweak it, then you have to save the tweaks, and then it becomes a model. Right, but... Then it becomes, it's not procedurally generated anymore. You can't store it in an algorithm and compress it and decompress it. Right, but still, using using procedural generation tech to, as a developer tool, rather than as an end user tool. Ah, okay, all right. So it's, it's, you want it, uh, you want to pull it back behind the curtain. A little bit. I mean, you can still have it client-side. So you could say, this planet uses seed A, B, C, D, E, F, G, but also has a building at coordinates X and Y. So it's still built and assembled on the fly, but it has been edited. And in general feedback, we hear from Bennu. He says, thanks for the show. Here's something for your debates. PTU access for all or just the few dedicated issue council contributors? CIG had a good couple paragraphs to use for the few Issue Council users side in the monthly report and the game support suggestion from CIG Austin. They then followed up with a progress report on how the patches are being slimmed down, possibly rendering the bandwidth point moot in the future. Some big progress in there on non-SQ42 stuff. And then Voidwraith, Krell, Naha, and the Shiv all wrote in to point out how Tony is wrong. They collectively basically said that he mentioned wanting a way to lower your wanted level aside from waiting a length of time. And apparently there is one already currently in place. You can hack the security station at Outpost Kera, and other criminals can try and hack it too, interrupting your progress. And I will say, Tony, you you were wrong. There's no getting around that. But I did actually miss that off the patch notes. When I was reading it through, I was trying to pick out the, the nice points, and I just totally skipped over that. So you can blame me for you being wrong. But... 
doesn't that mean you were wrong? No, no, that's no. not how this works. No, you were oh, wrong. That's not how this works. Oh, okay. I was mistaken. Sorry, I was confused. Okay, I was I was confused. <laughs> okay, that's fine. I was wrong. I was wrong, but I like to think that I made up for it in the prelude by having an artisanal hacking system. I agree, and I'm really curious how Form H actually works. If somebody wants to throw together in like Photoshop or Word or something a paper-based form that you can use to hack an employee, please do, because I want to know what this looks like. Yeah, I, well, and honestly, I mean, if you want to think about it, it's I like hacking as an idea in games, but, I mean, let's get meta here for a minute. You're on a computer in a computerized virtual world trying to hack a computer in the world. Hey man, mind blown. And how is that not different than typing in a field, you know, a couple of fields in Adobe Acrobat, hitting save and emailing it? You know, I mean it's on a physical interaction level, you're just punching a couple buttons and hitting send, you know. Do the hack. Hack all the things. Backtrace the net code and overflow the stack buffers. Go. I don't know. I kind of like the idea of seeing a uh, seeing name on the form, ID of intended target. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't want to hack all the things, just that guy. Yeah. So there's no new Patreon subscribers this week, but the winner of a brand new patch are Dryzu. And a quick reminder of this week's community question, crowdfunding, is it the future of the games industry? Or like shareware, something we'll look back on fondly in the future. Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at cardfrequency.com or post on our show thread at cardfrequency.com. So how is the show? Were we a crowdfunded success? Or does there need to be a Kickstarter to prevent us from making more? Either way, let us know. Here are some ways to get in touch with us. Why not leave a comment on this show's post over at guardfrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak and leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. If you're old school like us, you can always shoot an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. You can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback's an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of the 111st episode of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with the 112nd on March 22nd, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows on our website, guardfrequency.com. But that's not all! You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, then you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 11 p.m. Central, which for the shows on the 18th and the 25th, thanks to Daylight Savings Time, is Saturday at 4 a.m. GMT. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? Drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And right now our audio team is expanding, so if you think you know a high-quality show when you hear it, we'd love to hear from you. That email address again, squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting your website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into our weekly drawing to win some Guard Frequency goodies. We want to thank all our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week, and hope you consider making a regular contribution. Because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website and look under the call sign section for details on how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. 
Thanks to our community manager Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artists Ben Sanders and Simon Chawton Edwards, our staff writers Jeff Grant, Jace Pentad, and Kin Shadow, and of course our audio engineer Michael Duncan. A big shout out to our syndication partner The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the Deep Black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Can I just stop everything here and be, like, usually the role of Tony the Fun Killer? Isn't a form half at retained cargo? Oh my god, you're right. See, I've been through this artisanal experience Fantastic. before. Fantastic. Yes, you this your 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 artisanal experience form is showing P for through. piracy. Mm, okay, so, uh it's, but no, form P was in last in the last time. That was for the preliminary inspection sale statement. Ah, I thought okay. I was doing so good, but you're no you caught it. Uh, so we should need a um uh, form Z is going to be uh, forms yeah, Z. We'll just do the form. Okay. Z. Okay. Okay. Beep beep. I think it will make everybody happy that they don't have to download such a huge uh, thing every time. The, there's it's making my points. cat happy. Yeah. You know, the, the realism. Is there a cat yelling? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was saying, it's making my cat happy. Okay. You're out of here. <laughs> we haven't heard of the cat for a good few episodes. Well, yeah. It's, it's been a while. You know, uh, we moved uh, about uh, nine months ago now. And so now I have oh. a door that I can close when she's being annoying. So And it couldn't find the microphone, I guess. So. Well, the tunnel dwellers, tunnel dwellers. <laughs> you can hear the nearby the nearby station hailing comp. Wow, <laughs> who wrote this? Me? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> so I've played all these other games for the Simpod, and I like too many of them. <laughs> and I like too many. <laughs> <laughs> Built and okay. assembled on the fly, but it has been edited. Yeah, get to work on that computer programmer people make sure that's how it sounds i thought you were telling me that i was like okay well let, let's finish up the show first but well, see okay, what i can do uh, we i love the game we're building i just didn't realize well, i was yeah. building it that's the thing yeah it's okay <laughs> <laughs> and you can also support the show <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry i just is there a gas leak? <laughs> yes. Wait, wait yes, for it. Yes, there is. <laughs> it's going to start. Every week, Lennon. Every week there's a gas leak. Yeah. It's going it to start. all comes from the three of our heads. <laughs> <laughs>